Can I ask you about the Western memorabilia behind you? Yes, that is um, when I was 16 years old, I interviewed John Wayne. Wow. And he, um, my favorite Western of his was The Searchers. Ah. And I spent a week there while he was making a movie out West. And I kept nagging him about, could I try on The Searchers hat? Could I just touch it? Could I do something with it? And when he died, he left it to me. Yeah, I know. Yes. That's that's incredible. It was one of the greatest things that ever happened. Marty Scorsese has, oh, through the years, been offering me a lot of money for it. It's up to a quarter of a million dollars now. And I'll never sell, not as long as I'm alive. Good grief. I'm never doing it. It will always stay there with me. Hello, everybody. I am Peter Travers. This is Popcorn, where we tell you what's happening in the pop culture. And I have been obsessed with Perry Mason on HBO. Obsessed. So obsessed that I refused to watch the final episode until it airs on Sunday night. Peter, you're a man after my own heart. I really am. And I'm looking at you there, and I'm seeing that is a genuine quarantine beard, isn't it? It's actually not. It's fake. But I like to put it on for interviews so people can see it. It is not fake. Like... I could see it. It looks like it has things in it. It does. It has remnants <laughs> of food. It has remnants of hope that I once had. And it more, uh, but the most important thing, Peter, is that it keeps the children away. So you've got, you've got three kids there? Yeah, last count. Last roll call, there were three. Are you doing most of the caretaking or is it Carrie? I'd say it's... I'd say it's an even split of 50-50. She'd probably disagree. I looked up about 10 minutes before we started uh, on Google to see what people were saying about Matthew Reese. You know? Oh, God. These were the four things they were much, most interested in. One was, how much um, does Matthew Reese make? Okay, that was a great one. Yeah. Does Matthew Reese speak Russian? Uh, the third one is, are Matthew Reese and Carrie Russell a couple? No. And, no, no, no. It's just fake, this whole thing. It's just fake news. For magazines. And, and, yeah. And, yeah. And then the fourth one, my favorite one after all those questions is, what was Matthew Reese in? <laughs> <laughs> Trouble. Trouble. That's it. But you're not. You're in Perry Mason, which I seriously think is kind of unique in things I see on television now. It, it has an anti-hero in you who may become a hero, I don't know, but what made you say to yourself, you know, I'm gonna do this. I wanna play Perry Mason. An inordinate number of reasons. Mm -hmm. Because first of all, they said, my agent had left me a message saying, we wanna, I want to talk to you about the remake of Perry Mason. And I thought, oh, the remake of Perry Mason? That sounds like a terrible idea. Why would anyone want to remake Perry Mason? And then when I spoke to him, he said, Team Downey at HBO wanted to remake Perry Mason. I went, oh, it's not going to be a remake of HBO making it and Team Downey. It's going to be a reimagining. Because there's no way either of those entities would sign up to try and remake it. And then I met with the writers and Team Downey and they said, well, 
like right off the bat, they said, well, you know, what we're interested in is your origin story and how Perry Mason became Perry Mason. And it stopped me dead in my tracks. And I went, oh, yeah, that would be interesting. How did he become Perry Mason? Um, and, you know, as they pointed out, a lot of Perry Mason, the original Perry Mason show, is Perry Mason out and about, kind of like a private detective. You know, there's always the big confession on the stand at the end. But oh, yeah, a lot I of think it, the last part was the courtroom stuff, right? Yeah. Yes, always. Mm -hmm. But he's out and about, you know, breaking the crime himself with his, you know, loyally ways. <laughs> um, and then they said, and listen, we want to load his bases. So when you meet this guy, he's not just any one thing. There's an inordinate amount of things on his shoulders, basically the world. Um, mm -hmm. And there's all these things against him. There's all these things going on. There's all these things in his past. And I, when the sum total of all, I said, well, that would be interesting to play. Um, and the story and the scripts were fantastic. And I was incredibly attracted. And look, you did it. It's a hit for HBO. And also, and you know, in a very vain, selfish way. Yes. Being a kind of old school kind of, Jimmy Stewart, James Cagney, um, Humphrey Bogart fan, I was reading those scripts going, oh, I get to play out boyhood fantasies here where I get to throw the cigarette, throw the one-liner, tip the hat and get into the car and drive it. I was like, I'm box ticking, I'm box checking all these boyhood dreams of watching movies. Do you have trepidations when you begin playing a part, when you start, because this is a series, this was eight episodes, you came off of the Americans, you did Brothers and Sisters, but you're stepping into this, you're Perry Mason. You don't have Kerry there anymore. There's no Sally Field to go in the kitchen and discuss things with. There's no. no Tom Hanks, it's you. So if people think it sucks, they probably think you suck. Yeah. That was the, that is a primary and great fear. And I, I have that for season two, but I had it, Far more at the beginning of this one, because like you said, there's no real, there's no one else to hide behind now. The buck, I think, you know, begins and ends, but all falls squarely on my Welsh shoulders. Oh. And, and if it falls apart, then so do I. <laughs> and yet, look, no, it hasn't. It's going to be a season two. But I want, I want to know what that first scene you shot for this series was. What was you, what were you doing in that first scene where, when they said action? I can tell you, I can tell you exactly what it was. We started with the flashbacks of World War I in the trenches because it was going to, oh. they needed, yeah, for a number of reasons. And it was me leading the charge across a battlefield, trying to look competent, trying to reload my pistol competently mm -hmm. and look like a leader of men. Where inside, I was terrified. And also, all, it always happens with these things. There's this incredible company in Los Angeles made up of all ex, mainly special forces men, who they kind of bring in to surround you as extras because they can just step into that role seamlessly. So mm -hmm. I'm there with all these men who have served this country and, you know, God bless them. And on day one, and I'm sort of going, oh, it's terribly hot, isn't it? Oh, how do you reload this thing? It's so heavy. <laughs> I love terribly hot, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, speaking. <laughs> These uniforms. Oh, well, I don't know about you. I am shedding pounds. So they totally loved you. 
you know. Oh, they loved me. They, they they embraced me as one of their own. <laughs> I could just see it too. There's nobody visiting here in the Catskills. Nobody's with you now, remembering those days. No drinking and guffawing of all the all the no. fun times we had in Santa Clarita. In 109 degree heat. It's all over for that. But yes. You getting into a character, it's not just that, it's that as the star of this show, don't you have to set the tone? Isn't that the responsibility of somebody who's doing this? Yes, that well, to me that's the other the other part, the other part of it. There's this one obviously the playing of the part, the role and everything that goes with it. And then I having, as you said, worked with people like Sally Field and Tom Hanks. I've seen the, what the other side encompasses and what is asked of you. And I, I appreciated and admired enormously their kind of old school way of leadership, of setting a tone on set, looking after the cast and crew, setting, a, uh, setting the bar, setting the work ethic, uh, and, and, you know, keeping morale high and, and any number of things. And, and I took, I hope, I tried to take mm -hmm. that responsibility on also, that there's a there is a degree that is required, I think, of any leading um, lady or man, and 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 I try and I try to do that. Basically, I just did everything Sally and Tom always do. Oh, season two, I'm so excited to see you. Whenever it happens, I can't imagine what will happen. Will the jury have to be six feet apart when they sit down, even though it's still the 1930s? <laughs> I don't know, but they're. <laughs> All these conversations, believe me, behind HBO's doors are going on as to how do we do this? How can we make this happen? I don't Is know. Is it Perry in solitary confinement? Are you privy to these conversations? Do you get to weigh in? I do. They very kindly, or maybe foolishly, let me produce on this show. So... I get to sit at the, the grown-ups table and, and throw in my inane, banal, you know, comments and, and suggestions. And they have to nod politely. And they go, oh, that's an interesting, co interesting <laughs> thought. Throw, this, throw him another Love banana. <laughs> yeah, let him. And he'll go away if we just he'll sit He'll go away if he's eating. Yeah, yeah, that would be it. But yeah. seriously... When you watch this show set in the 1930s and we see government corruption, we see police brutality, we see systemic racism, we kind of see the world that we're living in right now, you know? Was all of this part of what you wanted to do when you and the creators were getting together to do it? Well, yes. You know, when, when, when they gave me the outline of the scripts, I thought, I'm glad it's not pure pulp. Mm -hmm. I'm glad it's not a flight of fantasy. It's grounded in some very real, present, um, relatable, sadly, themes. So uh, it, it did, you know, it uh, it did a number of things for me to for me to say yes. But I'm glad, you know, I'm glad that those issues were were in there. Absolutely. This show, the many reasons I like it, though, it's created an entire world of Los Angeles in the '30s. It has this real Chinatown vibe. Uh, you're disgusting in it, you know, you are just like, and, and a drunk and just mean and grumpy constantly and just not happy with your life and, and everything. Is bad. I read somewhere that they said, uh, some critics said Matthew Reese is an expert on uh, basically 
darkness and uh, what was it? It was a great phrase. Was it the ultimate champion of despair or something? Despair and masculine frailty. Oh, oh, I just love all that, that that's happening. You know, the one thing the show isn't like uh, is the actual Perry Mason TV show from the 50s and 60s. Well, that means we've succeeded. Yeah, it took until episode six for me to see you in a courtroom uh, as a lawyer. Yes. And you did a job. Well, well, you know what was fa- glorious about that job? Yeah. Was that I, as an actor, was allowed to learn on the job, like Perry, about how to conduct myself in a court of law. Because had you met me, opening scene of episode one, m- yeah. mid, mid-oration, as I'm summing up, I think we'd have been closed, we'd have been shut down in minutes. But the beauty of this one is when I read it, it's like, oh, I can be as bad as I want because I can always say, well, Perry was learning on the job, as was I. So knowing how deeply you research your roles, did you um, learn to be a drunk? I've spent many years studying that. (laughs) I was waiting for that. For, For those people that think, that they just now, they've never seen the Americans, they never watched you in Sally Field's kitchen, they never watched you try to dig up dirt on Mr. Rogers or any of those things, they've just seen you now as Perry, and Mm. they're saying, why does he talk so funny? Well, uh, why do you? Because I'm from Indiana. (laughs) Yeah, well, they really talk strange there. Indiana, Wales. Yes, I'm from a yes, I'm from a place called Cardiff in Wales, which is a, which is a smallish country nestling between France and Ireland. <laughs> nestles there, yes. nestles. And how did uh, your childhood go so that they've made you such a dark uh, expert uh, in masculine frailty and darkness? What was that childhood? Well, listen, there's nothing, I don't think there's anything unique for me in order to convey or portray that. I think we to throw a pin in any of the Celtic countries, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, mm-hmm. um, parts of Cornwall. Um, you know, I think the Celts, if, I've always maintained that if, if melancholy was an Olympic sport, the Celts would be gold, gold medalists. <laughs> it's what we do well. <laughs> there's no arguing about it. No. The first, the first Welshman I ever interviewed was Richard Burton. Oh. And, yes. And he, he started the interview by saying that he had stopped drinking. And then at the restaurant we had had, he had ordered two beers. So I said, how is that that you stopped? And he said, that's not drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Wales. I'll show you what that really is. But yes. I, can't, I can't do that accent. But are your parents still alive? They are, they are. They're kind of, they're, you know, appalled at the language I use in Perry Mason. I bet they are. They must yeah. have been appalled with you, like, through the years. The, I, I've, set a, I've set a very high bar for them to be appalled at. <laughs> so there's a number of things they go, well, we'll never have to, you know, un, we can never unsee that. But, you know, the Americans was, was a baptism of fire for them. There was a number of moments where they said, well, did we have to see that? Well, yeah, nobody did. I, I mean, no one needs to see it. Luckily, you wore so many wigs that maybe they didn't recognize you in some of those scenes. There was one glorious moment where my own mother didn't recognize me, which I find, uh, which is a, a badge of honor for me. I guess. 
How do you know that? Did she call and say, why aren't you in the show today? She said, who? I don't understand. Who is that pilot? I said, that's me. <laughs> Who's that pilot? Who's that pilot with the stupid, with the stupid glasses? That's me. <laughs> yes, it is you. But otherwise, they're pleased with you. They think that you've made a decent life for yourself. Well, I think, I, you know, I think when you, at the tender age of 18, when you, any person tells their parents, I'd like to be an actor, there's an, an audible intake of breath. As they as they terrorize with the thought of you being unemployed for the rest of your life, so the fact that I've been able to pay rent and a mortgage, I think, is success enough. You know, I kept thinking you could always pawn that Emmy that you won for the Americans. That's always a possibility. Well, I think I'm not. I'm almost a hundred percent sure the Emmy has the same clause that the Oscars do that you cannot sell them publicly. They have to be sold back to the academy for a dollar. That's what. Yeah, right. That's Sorry, what... it's a pandemic. All rules are off. All <laughs> rules are off. This is the way it's going to be now. And Peter, do you have any are... Peter? Do you have any interest in buying an Emmy? <laughs> well, now you've been basically like everybody else. You've been five months. You're an actor, but you can't do any acting. Thank God, I say. Really? Do you say thank God, or are you just really missing it? Oh, you want to be no. back there oh, with those lights no. on you. No, not for the tea in China, because I get to play the Green Goblin, the Incredible Hulk, Spider-Man, any number of Marvel characters every day and give some of the greatest performances of my life at night when I'm reading a story. And that's all the performance I need. <laughs> and the children are liking it. Well, they're, they're harsh in their criticisms, but they're warming to me. <laughs> I wonder if they have to give you star ratings for what you're actually doing. Well, Ke they said, they said, uh, well, the, the eight-year-old said, because um, Kerry's reading Harry Potter to her, and occasionally I get to read Harry Potter, and she's like, stop doing the stupid voices. <laughs> I was like, damn your eyes, girl, I was classically trained. Just read, just do what I told you to do. It's you don't like have to come out of a pig. So really, there's not this sense that suppose, and you know, nobody knows how long this is going to last. Could you do another five months without working? Well, I've the had The beard could be Rasputin-like. I, I could play Rasputin, Rip Van Winkle, <laughs> um, any number of, any number spring to mind. Um, Castro, yes, the, the, just the doors opening would be, I'm seeing Castro. I'm seeing it, you know? Yeah, I just need a cigar. Because I'm looking at you, you look well rested, you know? You look like you're doing a Perry doesn't. You know, I don't know how you got all those lines in your forehead. I guess they had to be drawn, especially in. No, 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 no. Just what they did for that time for, for once, what they do is don't they don't cover them up. <laughs> That's what's happening. So yes. <laughs> you've done your own makeup for today. That's oh, this great. was the Oh, yes, but it was the fastest makeup time in the chair I've ever had when they just looked at me, went, gave me a cup of coffee, felt through some pitiful looks and went, I think you're fine. <laughs> just go and do it. Just go and yeah, do it. Yeah, just go get them, champ. Well, you know that I'm not alone out there. We're all waiting for Sunday. If you screw up, we're going to hate you. You know, <laughs> we'll have to do another thing because a lot depends on that you know i, I know. know what's gonna happen with sister alice i don't know what's going on and with that baby i mean there's some 
really harsh things we watched to finally get to this point where it's you. But I'm confident. I'm confident that it's going to work and that you will one day again work and I will be able to see you <laughs> doing something again. So good luck for season two. But as you know, this show always ends in song. Always. And I did always. Well, it did the last time you were on and we were in New York studio and yet you were fearless about it. And yet I just found out, just found out that when you were 17 years old, you played Elvis Presley. I don't know where. Was it in some strange uh, Welsh <laughs> school? Yes. <laughs> it was at my school. Which a, sometimes a Welsh Elvis Presley just doesn't sound at all like it should happen. Well, no. Many said that until I played the king. <laughs> then he said it. But can you take us out with a little bit of Elvis? Well, I'm trying to just trying to think which bit, and I, I don't want to blow the microphone. Let me put it out. Oh, there. you can. We're at the end. It doesn't matter. Viva Las Vegas! <laughs> and I like this. And in that, there was a little, last time you were on, you did Chewbacca for me. And <laughs> Exactly. And I heard both of them in there. Something Perry Mason would never be caught doing. <laughs> no, neither. Either way, he wouldn't be doing it. But Matthew, I'm wishing you the best. I love this show sincerely, you know, and I can't wait to see how it finishes up. And I hope one day we're all out of the areas that we're in now and we could communicate again in person. Agreed. Peter, all right. it's a privilege and honor, um, well, as always. And when well, you're ready to trade... When you're ready to trade that John Wayne hat for a, a primetime Emmy, let me know. It's not going to happen, but I will play pool for it. <laughs> Done. Done. Best Take of three. Take care, my friend. You Bye -bye. too. Bye-bye.